Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. And I have to give a plug right here at the top to our producer, Michael. Uh, we were talking before we started recording, uh, you know, about Tops cards as we do. And he joked that, uh, you know, what would be really cool is if Cubs fans will get the opportunity in, you know, later later this summer to get to see Chris Bryant in like a an old school Mets baseball card or Craig Kimbrell in an old school Giants tops baseball card. Uh, we'll get to that, of course. But I just I wanted to give you the love there at the top, uh, Michael. That was very, very clever. And, and no Cubs fans anywhere will be angry about those mentions <laughs> at all, which, again, this isn't me. Brett Taylor speaking is our producer, Michael Beller. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter. Send him some comments. Uh, so <laughs> thank you, folks, for tuning in. Uh, I am also joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We are all coming off our all-star breaks, respectively, uh, although it's, it's still ongoing. We're recording this on Thursday, and the Cubs don't play again until f- late Friday night against the Diamondbacks. So it's it's nearly a full seven-day break, given the rainout uh, on the Sunday. And, you know, I mean, I'm a glutton for punishment for as much as I was like, oh, this July stretch is brutal. 11 game losing streak when they're off for like a week. I'm like, all right, let's give me some baseball. Give me some baseball. I I was, um, you know, the all star festivities, the game and the derby and the futures game provided me kind of enough. I mean, I I was enjoyed and entertained. Did did you guys partake in, in watching any or all of those things? Yeah, I mean, my son is really into the Derby. The, you know, I think the first time he got into it was 19. So he, we've, he's been waiting for it for a while. So he's he, he was really into it. And he had a baseball game. And right after that, we went and watched it, had some dinner and watched that out at a at a local place. And he, he, he had some fun. And yeah, I, I think that what they've done with the Home Run Derby has really made it a lot more exciting. And, and it's easy to kind of get into whether you're a kid or an adult. It's it's kind of fun to watch. It, it, it kind of got boring for a while there, in my opinion. But they, they, you know, added some juice to it and made it much more interesting. I, I think it's it's fun to watch, and and uh, I appreciate how they've they've kind of changed it up. And the you know the game is fine. I I thought there was there were some cool moments, and I you know Vlad hitting that shot was fun, and Brian almost tying that game up with the look like that ball was going to drop, and hopefully three runs would have scored. But hey, it was it was kind of fun. I guess I I heard Ian Happ on the radio earlier today saying that was kind of apropos for how things went for their first half that. Brian hit the ball hard, and, and but couldn't the ball didn't fall, and they didn't get the big hit. But uh, yeah, I think I think that that is kind of fitting for how things went for the Cubs. Well, since you asked Brett, I'm going to admit that uh, I had a lot of trouble seeing like where the ball was going in the home run derby, and I'm glad Lindsey Adler tweeted that out. Like it was just kind of like overload for me because I'm getting old and cranky. But I like Sahadev. I enjoyed watching it with my son, and still think it's a super cool event. Well, can I just say, I, hey, I consider myself neither old nor cranky, and I also okay. I'm glad you mentioned you don't have mirrors too, in your house, Brett. Like, <laughs> you son of a bitch! People are gonna hear this, Mooney. People are gonna hear this. Uh. <laughs> All right, proceed. Proceed. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Your, go ahead. <laughs> I just I was gonna here I was trying to uh, you know agree with you that I that I too had trouble seeing the ball there was just a, it was I don't know what it was whether it was the cameras or the split screen or the way they were doing it they weren't really tracking them it was hard to yeah, see where it was that going. was confusing uh, but sure. now I I rescind all of that 
You are an old <laughs> fart, and you should consider uh, LASIK. They have some. I, I don't think we have any sponsors right now for LASIK, but I'll put out the call. We should get the podcast some sponsors, and we can we can follow along as Gallagher gets his eyes updated. I thought it was a good. I think the format's better of like timed instead of swings. I just think it can be a difficult product to watch, and then obviously. Uh, my other complaint would be the uniforms were just so terrible in the all-star game. It was just like, like who was in the room being like giving the double thumbs up to that? Like, yes, let's, let's go with um, making it totally unrecognizable. Like who the players are like the whole point of the all-star game is to turn it on and see, Oh, there's my guy. Or I'm really curious to see this guy. And it just all blended together. Just, just a terrible, terrible uniform look. And I saw, I think I saw something that they've agreed to do it again next year. They're going to have all star. It's like, we've heard your feedback well, and we're not listening. <laughs> I mean, and you could do it. And I correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like, so obviously they've had years in the past where players wore their team unis for the game. Uh, but I, but they've had years where it was like, it was these collective unis, but it was just more discernible, like via the use of a bigger logo or whatever, who was who, instead of just one big white blur and one big navy blue blur, <laughs> and then the hats, right? Like, there's a way to do it where you can harmonize it a little bit more and still have the identifiable team characteristics in there. So, I feel like didn't, I don't know, give, like give me when a- the Cubs... Like in 2016, when the Cubs had all those officers in San Diego, wasn't it like the batting practice tops kind of blended in some of the Padres like gold and brown colors before they had fully committed to those. So I thought it was a kind of a distinctive look. You could sell those batting practice tops. And I think they wore the regular uniforms. I can't remember. I think that's right. But like you can still do Um, stuff. I mean, I just just, like that kind of final product. It just didn't work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's been a rough year for, for, at least for reactions (laughs) to Jersey related things. Like I have, I, we wouldn't have talked about it on the podcast, I guess, but like the, the, the Wrigleyville jerseys, the city connect ones, it's really growing on me. Like that look, they've, they've worn it now for a lot of their weekends. I think it's like, is it the regular home weekend thing now this year? Um, especially with the light blue accents. Uh, the, the problem was when that got first leaked, it was just the one blank Jersey by itself and it did not look good, but like on the players, the full look, not bad. I kind of dig it. I'm fine with it. I no I didn't have a major issue with with that to be honest. I didn't. I don't. I have my own issues with Wrigleyville, <laughs> but but that's just well. Yes, that's just G- my especially own given personal. that the whole thing it was like here are all the neighborhoods to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll put Wrigleyville in the front. By the way, that's not one of the neighborhoods. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. Oops. Yeah, that was a little frustrating, uh, but whatever. I, I like a lot of the other accents to it and the colors and the hat is actually great. My kids have the hat. Each one got asked Yeah, the hat's one, pretty so, awesome. Uh, so I, I like it. All right. Let's talk about the one. Uh, well, Craig Kimball got a couple outs in his appearance. Fine. Had some yucks at first base with Nelson Cruz. Uh, Chris Bryant, like you said, he had the strikeout and the one at bat, the sinking liner in the second. Fine. Not, I mean, it, it, there's nothing remarkable. But in the Futures game, which of course is the sort of pseudo prospect All Star game that came before the All Star game is played. It's played on uh, Sunday. Uh, the Cubs had like the the brightest shining star in the whole game. I can't remember the last time a Cubs prospect was the story coming out of a Futures game. Yeah, uh, Eloy. What wasn't that? Uh, didn't Eloy have a really big game, or was it like a cool? Was that catch? the game where he did the diving? 
the diving catch over the wall. Yeah. It was. And, uh, well, it, maybe a, <laughs> how do you want to say? It was a really nice catch. It was. I remember it. I, I posted about it. But, like, maybe in hindsight was a <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. warning sign. Like yeah. a, oh, it was kind of a little clumsy take... in a sense, but he pulled yeah. it off. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. And then I, I'll, I'll point out two other things that I remember because I was at at it. Uh, I'm almost positive Javi hit an oppo shot in 2014 in Minnesota, and that BP was one of the coolest BPs I've ever watched because it, Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo were in the same uh, were in the same round uh, of BP before that game and. And I remember I was talking to like we were on the field. It was like prospect guys, right? Like with Baseball America and stuff like that. I was talking to them and some scouts. We were just kind of standing there. And then Bryant and Gallo just were going back and forth. And it was one of those things where we all just like stopped mid-sentence and just watched with our jaws dropped, especially Gallo. Gallo was doing some crazy stuff, but Bryant was really impressive, too. Uh, But with Brennan Davis, I mean, you know, two homers in a game and – I was starting to get reports early on from outside the org where guys are like, I'm a little concerned about his ability to identify breaking pitches. And I get that, that, and and most of them were like, I'm, it's not like it's, it's way too early to, to overreact to this and be, you know, have it as a major concern, but I heard it in spring training too. So I was like, Hmm, okay, let, let's see where the numbers go. Let's see how he does. So I think seeing that his numbers are starting to jump, he's, he's healthy and he's performing, uh, I, I think that's part of this is all part of the process for him. So if he has if he is having difficulty identifying spin, OK, that's something that he can work on and, and he can continue to develop. This isn't like a guy that's going to fly through the system and be be like a September call up or anything like that. So he has time to 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 kind of get these things right. And, and you know, he's not a perfect player, but I think I think he's very exciting because he's a power hitting center fielder and this is a this is a system that's kind of devoid of power for the most part uh so you you have to be excited about that aspect you don't see these types of players very often and if he can keep the body uh in shape and and not get too big and even if he does he has the bat that he could play a corner spot and and maybe that's his future but it's a it's an intriguing, really intriguing talent that I think Cubs fans should be excited about. I don't know how high the ceiling is and if he's a top 10, top 20 prospect in the end, but he certainly, he, he's certainly very interesting and, and I think their best prospect and someone that we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on. I mean, we're, we're going to be talking about the future for a while. Uh, so, so I think he's a, he's a big, he's number one right there that, that you want to focus on and hope that that develops into something, uh, like, like they kind of built here already, right. That, that we saw over the past five, six years, all that offensive talent that that's come up, uh, Brennan could be that next wave. What, what did Judd say? The next great Cubs team. I think he'd be a big part of that in theory. Yeah. And you had this cool scene Sunday as you know, the Cubs scouts are gathered in their draft room. Uh, on Gallagher Way in that uh, office building next to <laughs> Wrigley Field, and they're they're watching the Futures game and go, going crazy, seeing Brennan Davis, you know, hitting bombs uh, at Coors Field, and then grabbing a pitcher in Jordan Wicks, who they had on the, in within the top ten on their draft board. So, you know, that day also began with David Ross doing damage control after uh, Wilson Contreras called out. His teammates, so it kind of just encapsulated all these 
you know, kind of competing factions within the organization and all these competing interests that uh, it's going to be a very rocky transition, but it's also going to be interesting. I mean, we've been kind of hammering the same topics like over and over again, not just us, but like Cubs personnel and, you know, talk radio and TV shows are competing outlets. Like it's been the same thing over and over again. And you're seeing, you know, some, some changes. And I think, uh, from top to bottom, people are ready for something different. Yeah. And I, um, that, that keys me into a few other things we want to get into, but before we transition off of Brendan Davis, a couple of things that I want to mention one, from my perspective, what I have found to be so extraordinarily impressive about Davis, who was considered a, a raw athletic prospect when he was drafted, not so much polished in baseball because he was a two sport guy and coming sort of later to that dedicated focus on baseball, uh, his ability to adjust to what he's given uh, both by the Cubs uh, developmentally that they wanted him uh, to do early on in his career. And then also at the levels where he is facing competition much older than his age uh, is truly remarkable. You got to keep in mind, this is a 21 year old kid. So he's a couple of years younger than the average age for his league right now in double a who came into this year, barely having 50 games worth of full season pro experience. Uh, and so for him to, um, have done as much as he must have done during the pandemic year, but then also to have developed as much as he did in that first year in the organization and to be producing at the level he is right now, particularly after some early struggles at double a, then the adjustments come and then he's dominating. Um, it just really stands out. Like that's, that's the trajectory of when, you know, I am not a scout, uh, but I have been following the prospecting thing for many years and that's the kind of trajectory you see from someone who winds up being special. Like health is always a thing that can muck these things up. But when you see very young, very little experience, very quick adjustments, and then dominating a league, that usually tells you a tale. So really looking forward to that. Um, and like Zadiv said, that's, you know, someone will be following closely for years because of his importance, but also because of the nature of the types of conversations we're going to be having going forward. And so I wanted to shout out to uh, Ryan, Ryan L no, no location, but he did include the L. So I want to, you know, add that Ryan L he wrote to us and he said uh, in the write up uh, about the Cubs top prospect, Brennan Davis on fan graphs and mentioned his strong worth work ethic because of his goat and llamas. Can we send Mooney to find out about this? I don't know why he chose Mooney specifically, but sorry, Mooney, you gotta, you're going to have to go dig in. Uh, Cubs fans need to know the good news about the goat and the llamas. Uh, yeah. Do, do you guys offhand have any insight as to the uh, existence of and or importance of the goat and the llamas? It's uh, So it's just like his mom is really into animals. I wish I knew what his mom did. I, did, I do know, and I'm blanking right now, um, but... They've had all sorts of animals, like, since he was a little kid uh, growing up. Uh, he's always had different animals, obviously, like, normal pets, like a dog and cats and stuff. But I think one day he came home and and there were two llamas there. And that's just, you know, part of what his mom did. She would rescue animals. She'd find homes for them. She'd provide homes for them. And, and that's, you know, that's what he grew up. It was part of his responsibility to take care of all these different sorts of animals and the llamas, there were a lot of different weird ones. I've, I heard this story recently again. I think uh, the Cespedes 
uh, barbecue guys. Why am I blanking? Jordan and uh, you, you know, what I'm talking about uh, the those two. What the hell? What's the other kid's name? Jordan and uh, you're you're gonna leave me hanging, aren't if you? If you hadn't, <laughs> I know. If you hadn't gotten stuck and then said Jordan, because like I was like, well, it's Jordan and. <laughs> and then because you got stuck right there, now you're I'm stu- completely okay. stuck right All there. All right. So uh, I apologize. Sorry, other guy. <laughs> we we love your stuff, Jordan yeah. and other guy. They just interviewed him about this and then he, he explained it oh, again. By the way, I'd heard this that's before. How- that's yep. how people describe this podcast, by the way. They're like, oh, well, it's Brett and those other two guys. You know, those two. Those two they're, guys. They're pretty okay. Do, yeah. But, it, I mean, it's Brett and those other two guys. Just, just uh, But, yeah, no, on. I think it's pretty cool. I'd, I'd heard about it when they first drafted him. Uh, you know, I've been meaning to talk to him about it sometime. But, yeah, it, I, I think, you know, that's a nice story. That's just like a... I think it does kind of go to show his work ethic and that he's kind of just like down to earth and he's just like, this is what I had to do every day. You know, it was baseball and basketball and and this, this was part of my life. Uh, These are my errands that I have to run every day. Take care of the llamas, take care of the dogs. And, uh, you know, I I think it's good for a kid to learn responsibility like that. Right. And I I think if he's going to apply that to the baseball field, that's great. That's even better. I'll be in Arizona this weekend if you guys want me to try and track down the llamas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good point just, good point look i mean do you really need walking. to cover cubs diamondbacks games <laughs> nba finals cubs oh. diamondbacks llama watch <laughs> uh are you gonna try to go to a, a finals game are you able to go to one uh i don't know how that is. like you, uh, no is, i know is, is that like asking um, i'm assuming is that like asking are you gonna go to the super bowl i'm assuming the uh <laughs> The Cubs are playing at the same time as the Suns, but they're both the stadiums are almost next to each other. They're really close. Yeah, well they they moved the Sunday game specifically to avoid the finals. So like they moved it up earlier in the day. So just saying you might be able to do a little Maybe uh, Jesse has the ESPN hookup. You can take the entire beat. Well that's good to know, man. I can change my (laughs) flight on Sunday and get home a little earlier though. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure uh it'll be nice and toasty yes. there i'm Co- not gonna be looking to uh hang out too yeah, long don't go outside <laughs> after like after like 8 a.m yeah. uh which oh speaking of, like just random point i I, I have nothing to take away from this but like you mentioned the the complex leagues have started um the arizona complex league formerly the arizona rookie league the dominican complex leagues which I think, are we still colloquially calling that the Dominican Summer League? I think we are. I believe um, so. Yes, I okay. think so. So um, that also just got underway, which means Christian Hernandez, the big IFA prospect, finally has gotten his professional career going. So just more stuff to see. The Darvish trade prospects are going there in the uh, Arizona Complex League. First stateside game action for a lot of them and uh, going very well so far. And obviously still quite a, uh, distance to cover before we can really uh, pass upon the return in that trade. But I think, um, you know what, that that's, that sets this up pretty well. I So I, I, I don't want to leave the draft hanging because it's it feels like we're acting as though it's not very important because we don't have a lot to say on it. But I think I think most of our listeners would understand, you know, the, the baseball draft, it's it's hard to comment intelligently on it because you can't really project what's going to happen you can just sort of say here's what here's who they took here's the process and then you just you ask that you ask the the guys you know i think there's a um not to offload people from our podcast but i believe tony Andraki just did a podcast with dan kantrovitz um 
uh, talking about the draft. So you might want to check that out. Do you guys have any big stuff that you wanted to touch upon from the draft? No, I mean, I, I like the first round pick. I've gotten a, like I've asked around a lot and, and nobody has anything negative to say about that. And the second round pick, I I wasn't sure if that was going to be like one of those. This is a data guy and scouts won't like him. That's not the case. Scouts love this guy. Uh, so uh, Triantos seems like an interesting bat. Uh, you know, he's probably going to be a third baseman, but like really weird swing when you watch it. Uh, like, I wonder how it works, but it's also one of those things like, well, it works. So don't mess with it. Let him see. Let's see how it goes in pro ball. And if he fails, then then you make the adjustments. But he's got a ton of bat speed. He makes a ton of contact. And it's not like he's making weak contact, which I, I think it's he's kind of exciting, I think. And I, I like really I, I got a lot of good reports on the fourth round pick, too. He may not have a hit tool, uh, but <laughs> if he learns if 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 he do, if the hit tool is even you know, slightly below average, uh, I think that that's a, that's an interesting case too, because I got a Chris Davis comp, Chris Davis with a K, but Chris Davis couldn't play center field. Uh, Chris Davis was a defensive liability and this guy's a plus center fielder. So if he hits like Chris Davis, even if he hits 220, but he hits 35, 40 homers and he can play center field, that's not something you see very often. So, so I think if he's Chris Davis, he has to hit he has to hit 247. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, whatever. I don't know if it's a good draft, bad draft. We'll find out in five years, I guess, or however many years. But uh, I, I didn't get anybody saying like, wow, that was, you know, outside or guys, I'm always cautious about, well, they, they drafted this guy way too high or what is, what are they thinking with this pick? Like, that's a bad pick. I've gotten that before in the past. Like this is, I, I don't know what they see in this guy. Sometimes that's right. Sometimes that wrong. That's wrong. Like I got some of that with Nico, like that, that's an overdraft. And, and within nine months of that, people that said that to me were like, I was wrong. Like they saw something that I missed and, and they corrected the, like these tiny flaws and he's, and he's a big leaguer. So, so we'll find out more. I think by the end of next season, it will be, tell us a lot about these drafts and you know that's how this goes you know every few years you learn more about each draft but i i you know i I got good reports overall yeah i mean jordan wicks is a very composed uh intelligent young man and he was on the the zoom like this and he said you know the cubs you know have have a track record of developing pitchers and i kind of had to stifle a laugh a little bit like are you bi- <laughs> but then what he was getting at was kind of the holistic approach top to bottom uh someone who studied uh Kyle Hendricks for a long time and and really impressed both the coaching staff at Kansas State as well as Cubs officials with his uh, ability to articulate what he wanted to do on the mound and not that we're trying to like put him in the rotation next year but you can see with some of the continuity the Cubs have have built here of like a guy who's going to be like following Kyle Hendricks around in spring training uh, a guy who can sit with Tommy Hadovy and Mike Borzello and explain what he wants to do and kind of break down video uh, and stuff like that and I think Brett that might be a transition to kind of what you wrote on Bleacher Nation of like buyer's guide with the Cubs like Kyle Hendricks, I believe, was at the top of that list. And, you know, why would they keep him? I think this is one one reason of, like, you need something. Like, you're not going to blow everything up. You need some kind of foundation pieces. And to me, 
Kyle Hendricks is one of those guys. Well, that's perfect because that in turn pairs nicely with something that really stood out to me in what you guys wrote. Similarly, look, it's it's the all-star break. We know what the Cubs are proceeding to do over the next two weeks. We know what we're going to be tracking. And therefore, I think we all thought. You mean the, the hot streak that they're about to go on, right, Brett? <laughs> do you know, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to win. But do you think that Jed Hoyer wakes up with like night sweats about like a 10 game winning streak? <laughs> oh. Right now? Well, because I that mean, only just, puts him in like a weird spot. That doesn't put him back in contention. It puts him in that weird spot he doesn't no. want to be in. Like That's I mean, what I'm saying. He, like, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think <laughs> he doesn't want them to get like be like four games back. That's that's a terrible <laughs> situation to be in for someone that wants to have a really firm grasp on buying or selling. Right. You don't you don't want to be in that middle ground for sure. No. <laughs> and right now we'll say we you know, anticipate that the, the die is cast. I mean, Hoyer has said it. And I think that the, there are there are wheels in motion already that I think are probably not going to be reversed. And so we a lot of us took this week to take stock of things, to talk about coming out of the break. OK, trade season's here. Um, we had talked previously on this podcast how the delayed draft um, probably pushed back a lot of this kind of thinking. Uh, but we're there now. And so, you know, I wrote about it today at Bleach Nation, like Patrick said. These guys wrote about it at The Athletic. And what really stood out to me about your guys' piece, among many other things, was the reminder that be- just because the nature of trades in season, uh, in particular in this context, just because the nature of what teams are willing to give up has changed, doesn't mean you can't still target significant value in trade it just might have to have a different shape than we're used to and an an advantage that the cubs have right now if they choose to deploy it and we'll be on them uh for this purpose in the months ahead but is they've got a wide open roster after this year a lot of financial flexibility after this year at least in terms of contracts on the books and they in theory don't have the need to target shorter term guys in trades. You know, if you're selling off, for example, if it came to this, a Chris Bryant, you'd be able to just target the best possible package of prospects, the guys who could potentially become impact types, whatever form that looks. You don't have to be like, okay, here's what this window is going to be, this is what this window is going to be, because you know that to the extent you want to be marginally competitive next year at least, and, and Jed has said, not doing a full-scale rebuild, you know you're going to have the ability to target some shorter-term guys in free agency and maybe even trades using younger prospects to figure out what that transitional period is going to look like. And so uh, I really dug that in your guys' piece because it was a reminder that for as much as a lot of us didn't like the shape of the return in the Udarvish trade in the offseason, because it said a lot about what was coming in 2021, in my opinion, and, and what the thinking was thereafter, now that we're in season and we can see that the finances are back in order, Wrigley Field is back to full capacity, all of these things, I think I would be less troubled by that kind of return, you know, that kind of focus at this deadline of, of look, if the best prospects we can get are a lot younger, a lot riskier, a lot further away, so be it. That's what we're going to get because we're going to maximize the returns. Um, and so, you know, Am I the only, am I alone in seeing that sort of 
like I, it's not like I've changed my mind on the Darvish trade. It's just that I feel like the situation is different now. I feel like the perspective is different now, and it um, would concern me a lot less now if the Cubs ended up getting you know younger, further away prospects. If I felt like oh that's that's a nice a nice return I can dream on. Sure, I, I think what basically what it is what you're saying is like you were like. Jed kind of kickstarted this with the Darvish trade, right? He kickstarted, uh, I think, fans in general, and and maybe I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Brett, but like you guys, people wanted a competitive team, and when you sell your ace, when you trade away your ace for teenagers, that's how are you supposed to sell to the fans that you're competing? That that's not you know those two things don't go hand in hand. So I understand just being upset with that trade right away, it, and. Even now, if you want to look back and say, man, if they had Darvish, that 11-game losing streak wouldn't have happened. You know, how many games do they win in that uh, in that stretch? How many, how many, how different is this season? Sure, I get all that, but they're now in this position, and what you need to look at is how good are, is the talent ultimately? Well, you know, Casey and Preciado seem like they're, they're pretty solid prospects at the moment. And right now, all you can look at is... What's the value of these guys? How are they looked at around the league? And, and uh, whether they're four years away or not doesn't really matter because I think Jed, when he sees an opportunity, when he sees what the timeline should be, he'll he'll make moves. I don't think he's afraid to to try and build a winner, uh, you know, for like 2022 or 2023 if the right opportunity presents itself. And that so that's why we can't we can't assume that this is going to be a bad team for a while. I mean, I thought, uh, I think Jed was the one that brought up the Red Sox, right? And, and we kind of broke, uh, Patrick kind of explained what, what the Red Sox have been through over the past decade or so. Their system isn't good. It hasn't been good for a while. And they're at the top of their division in one of the toughest divisions in baseball. They don't just like some of these prospects that they're bringing up now. I think they just called up Jaron Duran. He's a perfectly good prospect. He's a very good prospect, but it's not like everyone was like, there's Duran, there's this guy, this guy, and this guy. They they had solid prospects, but nothing that people were screaming about and saying, look at this system. The Red Sox are building another winner, and, and they're just going to churn out all this talent. So sometimes it, the way these systems are viewed, first of all, isn't always isn't all doesn't always tell the whole story. Second of all, I think... I think you don't need to have like this dominant system at all times to say that, okay, we're bad now that me and oh no, we don't have a ton of prospects. We'll never be good again, or it's going to be years and years there. There's going to be some quality talent that surprises some people that comes up and they're solid uh, pieces. Now it's about filling in the rest, right? And people can be upset and say, well, they didn't do a good job of filling in those holes last winter, especially in the starting rotation. I agree. They didn't. They also didn't have their pick of the litter. They didn't have money to spend until like, what was it, late January? So it wasn't like they were the talent evaluators were saying, we're taking Jake Arrieta over everyone else. It was, we're taking Jake Arrieta over who? Who, who did they take him over? Like Jake Arrieta and Trevor Williams, who were they picking uh, between? There, there weren't, they didn't have all these choices. You can say, well, look what San Francisco did. Well, San Francisco did it first of all they get props for do, picking the right guys but they also did that early on they did that they were signing guys in in November and December right so you know props to San Francisco for nailing those free agents that you know most of us may not have you know bad an eye when they brought them in but uh, i think 
I want to see what this this scouting department can do with you know without. Obviously, we know eventually they need to spend big, but also what are the little things that they can do? Can they find the Anthony DiScalfani, right? And maybe they would have signed him if they had money to spend in November and December. I don't know. I'm just saying I don't want to judge them too harshly for bringing in Arietta and Williams. They were that was a weird situation where they just didn't have money to spend at the right times. Yeah, and I think this this all starts at the top. I mean, it's going to be, you know, is Jed going to have a budget commensurate with the Red Sox and Yankees for the rest of his tenure here? I don't know. I don't think he knows. I mean, that process starts with kind of an end-of-year accounting, and um, no doubt the Giants hit uh, on guys in a way that the Cubs didn't. But, you know, even someone – I mean, Taiwan Walker was an all-star. He's – Three years, $23 million. A guy the Cubs had liked in the past. Maybe his injury history would have given you pause uh, at that overall number and the length. But, like, what will Jed have at his disposal? And I think at this point he understands how the trade market has changed since, you know, him and Theo packaged Gliber Torres in that trade for Roldis Chapman that – you know, we were also surprised two years before that when they trade Smarja and Hamill, and you think, oh, they're definitely going to get pitchers back for that. And it was Addison Russell, and then to, uh, you know, another degree, Billy McKinney. So, like, I'm sure he'd love to get um, a guy he could, like, plug into next year's lineup or bank on for 2023. I'm not sure if that's out there. Maybe there's a complimentary piece, whether it's, uh, you know, a Justin Grimm or a Pedro Strope, like kind of a guy who's thrown into a larger deal who contributes sooner than than later. But, you know, if the Cubs want to do kind of the reset, pivot, reload, whatever they're going to call it, I mean, it's going to take money to fill those holes if you're going to make kind of longer-term investments in your farm system with returns for these players, which is a totally reasonable path to take. It's just we don't really know kind of the broader picture here. We're talking about prospects who, if you're Brennan Davis, say if you were injured, there's no minor league season last year, and then we're coming up on a collective bargain agreement that's about to expire. Like, it's great that you want to invest in your farm system and think long-term, but it's going to have three truncated years in, in terms of development, for, and that's assuming no future injuries. I mean, it's it's like a, a sensible path. There's also a huge amount of risk involved in this as well. How's about this for the fact that because that CBA is coming up, you know, the financial landscape as it relates to team finances and player control and all of these things might change fundamentally. And it might change in ways that if you could look back, you'd look at a trade deadline and you'd be like, ah, they should have done X. They should have done Y. And I think that, you know, we can we and the Cubs can do our best to project what some of those changes might be. But to me, that that only further underscores the idea that you can't, you just can't be worried about timeline at, at a time like this, right? The Cubs, they have some talent. They have, they're going to be sought after in the trade market. And I think that you are, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be more exposed to the look back and the criticism, the justified criticism, if you don't simply just try to maximize the returns, whatever shape that takes. And, um, I think that, uh, 
I, so I'm curious since we're t- we don't have to dig in on, on too many individual players yet, but but this will this will be I think one of the most pervasive questions for the next two weeks, or if the Cubs move him sooner. But the trade value on Craig Kimbrell, who some are already saying. Uh, that sounds bad when you're like, well, people are saying, <laughs> but, but no, you, you see it out there that, and I think there is some merit to it that he might be maybe the most compelling trade piece on the, the market, because we know what the impact for a super elite closer can be to a team that is head in a race already knows it's going to be in the postseason, the way you can use those guys. And I also will argue to the grave that his the team option for next year at 16 million it's got buyouts but it's going to be picked up that that's a plus to his value i mean it's a one-year deal at market rate around given the liam Hendricks deal it's about market rate and it's a one-year deal um so i think that that's if anything you know people focus on the position player trades because those are the guys that tug at the heartstrings and they're maybe harder to deal because position players don't net the same return uh, all of that stuff Kimbrel's the trade that the Cubs really have to get right. I mean, that's that's the one that the maximum value has to be um, uh, met. And I think it's going to be fascinating because I know that, you know, I, I looked back at this recently. I was just curious, like, OK, what what has the trade market been for elite closers? And um, they're, they're actually ha- of his caliber. Do you know the most recent one traded was? It was a Chapman. Chapman in yeah. 2016. And so it's and. The environment was so different. The Cubs' particular situation was so different. His contract situation was so different. So it's really hard to draw parallels to discern like what is appropriate value. And I think that's probably going to be the delicate balance for Jed Hoyer right now is trying to figure out like I've got the prime piece, but the market's different right now. How do you know? How do I maximize this? And I, I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, that's one of those things where the market dictates the value, right? I mean, we're going to, he's going to be, he's making calls, he's asking around, seeing who's available, seeing what type of offers are out there. And, and I, I agree. I don't know. I was, I was curious when you said, when you started to say, like, I looked back on this, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, I can't remember a big time closer, like an elite, elite closer being moved since Chapman. So apparently, my memory isn't completely shot, but there, there have been good close. There have been good, yeah. solid closers. Melanson's been moved. Shane Green was moved. But like, I mean, just, but those guys there's no one on this tier. Yeah, that's not like Melanson is probably close. Shane Green is light years away from this. Uh, like we're talking about arguably, you know, top five, top ten greatest closer of all time. And he's performing at his peak abilities. He's pitching like it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so it's not just I, past. It's yeah. like he's, he's doing it. So it's, I mean, this that that's a lot of value. That's something that teams are willing to pay for. I still think in the end, the average fan is just going to be disappointed by the return. And I think even the ones that are decently educated about prospects aren't going to be like well that's that guy's a no doubt top 20 prospect i don't see that i just don't see it happening anymore just because that's not done like unless you find i'm not sure who the desperate team or owner is you know do the astros are the astros desperate to prove that they're not cheaters that they can win uh without uh cheating uh so yeah, maybe they get they push in Mets new ownership uh, guy that has been flashing, uh, you know, throwing the money around as it is 
Does he want to? Does he want to get real aggressive? I don't know what those deals are, what they look like, but just off the top of my head, those are a couple teams. But you know that doesn't happen. You don't have Billy Bean out there. You don't have. I mean, you have Dave Dombrowski, but <laughs> the Phillies. I don't know if you if they consider themselves in contention, and I don't even know what they have in their system that could bowl the Cubs over. But uh, I mean, that's the type of guy you're looking for, a Dombrowski. That's just like. Who cares about these prospects? I want to win right now. Like let's let's try and win. And I get that mentality, but that's what the Cubs need right now. Yeah, and I think that's why maybe it'll take uh, a deadline. I still think uh, AJ Preller is a name that Sadev and I have heard in terms of the Padres and just someone who is so off the board and kind of does his own thing and just doesn't care and will do kind of strike first and fast like when you don't expect it like that's what the Padres have become and they're obviously uh, in go for it mode uh in a really difficult uh division race and it goes back to as well of the Cubs while collectively it hasn't clicked they have a lot of individuals who could help other teams and that's where I think uh Jed will have to be at his most creative of kind of how do you divvy up Zach Davies, Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, Jock Peterson of trying to get multiple teams involved that need multiple different guys. And it's going to be uh, a really difficult maze for him to get through the other side there and into August. And of course, uh, that was perfect because it, it, you didn't mention Rizzo, Baez, Bryant there in that and that's and it's yeah. it's funny because we all we do think of that differently we just we think of it differently for a number of reasons that I, I don't think our listeners need to be reminded of but um I think that's where we'll leave it for now because I also just sort of my brain goes to the other guys you mentioned the sort of rental guys who can definitely be traded for value and it's just it's it's very hard to separate some of the it it isn't just that it's a matter of heartstrings when you talk about trading those other three it's that there are considerations that go after the trade deadline that impact what you would be willing to accept in a trade for them because it isn't about just like well get whatever we can take you know everything must go that isn't that situation particularly with respect to Rizzo and Baez I would say I think there's still going to be that consideration after the year if they've stuck around to to maybe bring them back in free agency I think probably less so with Bryant I think I I skew more toward thinking that Bryant is more likely to be traded than I think some others believe, but um, we'll see. And we'll continue to track. We won't, uh, you know, obsessively focus entirely on these trade considerations for the next two weeks of our shows with you folks. But as you can understand, it will be uh, a heavy piece because it's very heavy for the Cubs right now. And then um, it'll be fascinating to get into the second half clear of these considerations because I still think there's going to be a lot for the Cubs to do uh, after the trade deadline to set up the the time ahead. So thank you folks for listening. Do make sure that you do the following things for me. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Those things really help. We dig that. Appreciate it. Uh, maybe you know, follow us Follow us on Twitter. How about that? Uh, I, I'm at Brett underscore A underscore Taylor. Sahadev's at, at Sahadev Sharma. Mooney's at PJ underscore Mooney. You know, we're good on there. And then I want you to read what Sahadev and Patrick wrote at The Athletic about uh, what's to come. Read what I wrote at Bleacher Nation about the uh, Cubs seller situation. And then listen to us next week when we get back at you with another episode of On to Waveland. Thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend, folks. Goodbye. Goodbye.